Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and it is now the 19th day of May, 2016, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording from Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, and the home of my dad. It is my dad's birthday today, and happy birthday. I've done several podcasts where I basically pay tribute to my dad, and if you follow uh, my Twitter feed, you'll see that I do the Sully Baseball Podcast Rewind, and you can check some of the old episodes that I've done, but happy birthday, Poppy. You know I love you. In fact, I think I'm going to see you. You'll probably see me before you hear this podcast. That's how it works. Hey, um, I have a special treat for today's podcast. I did an interview with the great Jonah Carey. Now, Jonah Carey is a best-selling author, uh, The Extra 2%, which is the great book he wrote about the Tampa Bay Rays, and Up, Up, and Away, which is the brilliant book about the history of the Montreal Expos. You know him from ESPN, Sports Illustrated, Grantland. He now has a fabulous podcast on Nerdist. He writes a lot for Sports Illustrated. He is a wonderful writer, and he's a juggernaut, is what he is, and it was a great privilege talking with him, and we had a conversation, we talked about several things, including the Expos and the Nationals and some other things, but also the film that I have a small role in, which is called Spaceman, it's about Bill Lee, it stars Josh Duhamel, Uh, he's actually seen it, I haven't. So we talked a little bit about that as well. So uh, let's get right to it. Here's my interview with the wildly popular and brilliant writer, Jonah Carey. You have actually seen the, the film Spaceman, which I have a cameo in. The, uh, yeah, you're the mailman. You were hilarious. You were great. It was really fun doing that. I was in the documentary about Bill Lee, and Brett sort of gave me the, the mailman uh, cameo in that. But... Uh, just I, I haven't seen it. Can't wait to see it. What, what are your thoughts on the What are your thoughts on the film? It's great. I mean, Brett sent me the screenplay like three or four years ago. We've been friends for a while, and I've been involved in the marketing side, and uh, and I'm pretty heavily involved in the film, relatively speaking. So yeah, no, it's been it's been uh, very cool to watch, and uh, and I'm enjoying it. Oh, great! I, I I can't wait to see it. When I I was it was so fun when I met Josh as Bill Lee on that day. And um, we were we wound up just hanging around talking about the twins for about an hour and a half. But it was just sort of was like, wow, I'm that's that's really Bill Lee. That's really. Uh... <laughs> but you are. I mean, in terms of I, I'd be I have a couple of specific things I wanted to bring up based on some of your articles that you've written recently. But the you are to the Montreal Expos what Edward Gibbon was to the history of the Roman Empire, basically. And with you wrote the. <laughs> absolute definitive history of the Expos. And if you haven't read Up, Up, and Away, everyone who likes baseball, just read it. I read it. I got it for Christmas, and I think I re- finished reading it by December 27th. I just couldn't put it down. It was just, oh, that's great. It, it existed in my bathroom, which is the greatest compliment a book could ever ever receive. Huh. I ha- I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a couple of Montreal questions. Is the hope of a new team showing up in Montreal, is that a 
pipe dream for people like you and me who are sentimental and, and, and nostalgic for it? Or is there any real possibility of that happening? Of course, there's a real possibility. For several times over the last literally year and a half, people who are not me, who have no skin in the game, have asked the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred, what do you think about the possibility of a team in Montreal? And he has repeatedly said that he sees it as a very viable candidate and a very real, uh, real possibility. He's talked about not so much relocation, because I think Tampa Bay and Oakland will work out their stadium situations, but he's talked about it heavily in terms of expansion. Now, he hasn't said that they're going to expand tomorrow, and I awarded him to Montreal all the day after tomorrow. What he said is, when the time comes for us to expand, we view Montreal as the leading candidate. And he said that in many different contexts. I've heard him say it in a, in a closed room uh, at ESPN. He said it on national television. He said it in print. He said it many, many times. I don't know how much more of a clear signal you can get than the commissioner of baseball <laughs> saying, yes, we view the city as a viable candidate. And you think – and. I mean, so you think uh, relocation is not really on the table. You think it's going to be – would they expand Would they expand to two so you wouldn't have the interleague play game every day? Is that the route they think they'd go by? Right, and I think that, that adds a little bit of a complication to it because you've got to figure out what the second market is going to be. He's talked about Mexico City, which on paper is an interesting idea. It's a gigantic population, of course, and you know breaks into a new market and it would be really cool. Uh, but Mexico City is also very, very high elevation. There's a lot of pollution there. The per capita income is much lower than it is in, in pretty much any major US, U.S. city. So there are all kinds of obstacles. So, you know, that needs to come into play. But, you know, look, could be Montreal and Charlotte, could be Montreal and Vegas, could be Montreal and a whole bunch of different things. And I, I think the general idea here is that baseball should expand. There hasn't been expansion. It's almost two decades now. Mm-hmm. And since the sport started expanding, this is now the longest we've gone since it has expanded. So I think it's overdue. Uh, the, the sport has really grown quite a bit in terms of revenue and in terms of talent base. There's just more good players now than there used to be uh, because we've got more players from Cuba and more players from Japan and Korea and, and all kinds of different places. So uh, it's right for it. I, I like the idea of getting rid of uh, interleague every day. I don't think that's a good idea schedule-wise. I don't think it's fair either. And, uh, you know, leaving aside my personal opinions about Montreal and how much I feel that it would be a nice thing, uh, it's just a logical thing for baseball to do. Do you think they would ever get rid of, I mean, this doesn't have really much to do with Montreal, but do you think they would ever get rid of the divisions altogether and just sort of have it be uh, like the top five teams? Because like, last year, the fact that the Mets had the home field over the Cubs was a bit bizarre in you know, in terms of just simply because of borderline arbitrary divisions. Do you think they would ever just sort of say, here, here's each league and we go, you know, top five teams get to be the playoffs? Yeah, that would be more fair, but it's never going to happen. Uh, the teams have interest in regional rivalries. The Cubs might not might object to what happened last year, but on the other hand, they want to play the Cardinals a bunch, and you know the Red Sox want to play the Yankees a bunch, and there are just business reasons that I don't think that's likely to happen. All right. Well, I was I was being hopeful. Do you think it would be better for uh, if a if a new team goes to Montreal? Uh, do you think it would be better being in the National League, or you know, so go back to being the Expos, or do you think it would be better? having that regional rivalry with Toronto in the, in the AL. Yeah. I mean, such as it is, it would be nice to play the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Blue Jays. All of those things would, uh, you know, probably help revenue and attendance and all that stuff. But honestly, I don't think it matters that much. I think for people in Montreal who are starved for a team who haven't had one in a long time, just get a team there and worry about the logistics afterwards. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I have what I call the rule of seven, which is you don't really start following a team until you're, 
about seven years old. That's like when your first memories of a team are. It's usually around that period of time. Yep. And with that in mind, it's been if you are basically under 20 in Montreal, you don't really have a memory of the Expos, you know, except for maybe one year, the, the last year where they were kind of splitting between Puerto Rico and were and very clear was their last year there. So if you're if you're 20 years or younger, this is a completely new experience to have a baseball team. Yeah, no question about it. But on the other hand, you see kids on the street uh, who, you know, are wearing Expos caps. They could be 12 or 14 or 16 or whatever. There's a weird sort of cachet there that even if you don't remember the team per se, there's still a presence. And it could be your parents and it could just be a fashion statement or what have you. Um, but it is there and, and it does exist in the city. And more now, it's funny, there was kind of a lull right after the team left. And it's only more recently that it started to become cool. And, you know, part of that has to do with, there have been exhibition games in Montreal over the last three seasons, uh, and they're drawing 50,000 fans a game. They drew 106,000 fans total for Blue Jays versus Red Sox this year, and uh, 97,000 was last year for uh, the Reds and the Jays, and then the Mets and the Jays was earlier. So the Jays are trying to establish its regional footprint in the province of Quebec, but part of the unintended consequence, or maybe the intended consequence, is that you're seeing a lot of you know, former Expos fans or even kids of Expos fans flocking the stadium, wearing Expos gear, and showing up and, uh, you know, cheering for the Expos, even though they're not actually on the field. It's the Jays versus somebody. So there's definitely a vibrant presence there. And, and I think that if a team were to come back, they, could, they would definitely make a strong effort uh, to recruit younger fans because obviously younger fans become the season ticket holders of tomorrow. Right. Well, I'm, I'm going to switch gears a little because I'm going to bring up something that you wrote <laughs> just the other day about the team that the Expos became, uh, the Nats. Um the the Strasburg deal you wrote you wrote uh, the ten uh, ten facts about the uh, about the Strasburg deal, and mm-hmm. I I was really caught off guard by this because of the free agent class and he was quite obviously the biggest fish uh, in the free agent class, uh, but this is what do you think the terms of the long term effect of both him being a potentially injury prone you know injury risk. Uh, and a seven-year was it a seven-year deal that he got, and also what mm-hmm. this means for the the free agent class, which is going to come out there, which is quite frankly going to be really, really pitiful. Yeah, it's very weak. Teams have made a real strong effort to sign guys before they ever get the free agency, which is how you end up with a weak free agent class. And it's not just you know the Dodgers or the Yankees or whatever. Tampa Bay Rays signing Evan Longoria, and the Pirates getting Andrew McCutcheon, and the Reds getting Joey Votto, and you're just not letting your franchise guys go. You're trying to keep them as long as possible. So that certainly eroded the talent base. As for the Strasburg deal specifically, you know, yeah, he would have been the big fish on the market. That's certainly true. But Steven, as you just cited, Steven Strasburg is a big injury risk. It's perfectly possible that he could have a major injury between now and November when he would become a free agent. The biggest risk factor for Tommy John surgery is not throwing a lot of sliders or curves or, or anything. It's throwing hard. The more hard fastballs you throw and the faster you throw them, the more likely you are to get hurt. And Steven Strasburg's fastball averages 96 miles an hour, and he's already had Tommy John surgery. He's definitely going to get hurt, either his elbow or his shoulder, sometime in the next seven and a half years. It's certainly going to happen. So, you know, yeah, okay, Boris might have taken a couple bucks off the table, but there is a risk factor with waiting. And, and, and this is going to end up being a bad contract for the Nationals because all pitching contracts are bad. They all fail. Jake Arrieta, name it, whoever it is. If you have a guy who signs 
we shouldn't say they're all bad. They're all bad once you reach like your late twenties, early thirties. Clayton right. Kershaw was a good deal because he signed young. Chris Bale was good. Matthew Bumgarner, those guys are signed young. Chris Archer. But if you sign somebody 28, 29, 30, 31 years old, Granky deal's already looking bad. Price deal already looks bad. TC Sabathia deal's bad, and he didn't even get hurt. He just kind of became bad. Either you're going to get hurt or your performance is going to dry up, but it's not going to be a good contract. Strasburg, whether he takes the money now or later, is going to end up on the better side of the deal. I'm always amazed how people don't learn that. That it's, you you know, every year there is, in the offseason, there is a big free agent sign that everyone goes bananas over. And then the same page on whatever magazine you're reading has an article about the worst contracts in baseball. And inevitably, it's someone, a contract that everyone was doing a Mardi Gras dance when they initially signed it. And they, no one ever, I remember, I mean, I'm in the Bay Area right now. I remember when Zito defected from the A's to the Giants. And my Giant fan friends were just going ape, thinking, wow, we, this is it. We got ourselves a Cy Young right. winner. And that became one of the, the, you know, his his two big postseason wins in 2012, notwithstanding, has to be one of the most disastrous contracts in baseball history. You know what might be a worse contract? Them re-signing Matt Cain. Matt Cain is awful, and he's making $105 million. So, yes, of course, there's a lot of precedent to this stuff. Here's, here's how teams look at it. They acknowledge that this is going to be a bad deal in year four or five or six or seven. The hope is that these guys are so good in years one and two or three when they're still probably close to their prime. You sign a guy when they're 28, 29, 30, they're probably still going to be good, maybe even great players early in that contract. The hope is that the profits gained in the early years can defray the obvious losses in the later years. And, and that can happen. It is conceivable that that can happen, but it's still much more likely to happen with a position player than it is with a pitcher because pitchers are pitchers. And, and no matter how good a guy looks now, something bad is going to happen and sometimes earlier than you think. Yeah. And, and Andrew Kashner's agent must be drooling right now, knowing that he now is one of the most coveted players in, in the uh, free agent class that's going to have, I mean, you know, not that he's a, not that he's a terrible pitcher or anything, but he was hardly going to be on any top of anyone's list going into this year. Well, I mean, that's true to a certain extent. There's a the supply and demand issue. And if he's the best pitcher, one of the best pitchers, that's fine. He turns 30 in September, so he won't be that old. But he kind of sucks. I mean, he's got a 4.93 ERA in San Diego. He wasn't good last year. There's a certain point at which, yeah, he might be the best guy out there, but if he's not good, nobody's going to give him $100 million or maybe even $70 million. So I know what you're saying, but I just think that teams will eventually exercise some sort of restraint or they'll go another direction. They'll say, okay, we can't get anybody good on free agency. Let's go ahead and make a trade or, or figure out another way to acquire talent. I have some... I have so many um, Yankee fan friends who just basically have said over the last few years, well, eventually Strasburg and Harper are going to be free agents, and then we'll just sign them and everything. And uh, I obviously Strasburg is off the table right now, and, and it wouldn't stun me. I mean, I guess it would stun me if the Nationals <laughs> ponied up for Harper just based on all the big contracts, but it, they're almost at a point where they have to. I mean, well, they're going to try. I mean, they're definitely going to try, and they have money. I mean, the Nationals are a very profitable franchise. They're owned by the Lerner family, which has built a $6 billion real estate empire. So the money's there, but the issue is going to be competition. You know, Harper's going to make over $400 million, maybe $500 million, a lot of money. And so you've got to figure out who's going to do it. The Yankees, I'm sure, will be in play. But listen, the Dodgers are going to want to sign him. I'm sure the Red Sox will be in on the mess. Uh, he's a desirable commodity because – not only is he good, but he's going to be unusually young for a free agent. It's very rare that a guy is that young and comes out on the open market. So that's going to be a plus. Um, 
you know, his skill set plays well. He's relatively durable after having injuries the first couple of years. Seems better now. And moreover, he's a position player. And so there's just much less risk than if you're talking about a pitcher. So, yeah, it all bodes well for him to get a lot of money from somebody. The Nationals will try. I'm sure they'll be in the mix. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of competition, and, and it's hard to you know pinpoint one favorite. You might think that it's the Yankees, but the Dodgers will be right there. You could tell the way that they're doing uh, both of those teams, the Yankees and the Dodgers. Dodgers could have re-signed Zach Greinke. They chose not to. Yankees could have done all manner of things, and they've chosen not to because they're realizing, you know, you said, oh, why don't teams learn a lesson? Even the richest teams have figured out this lesson to some extent, and they're saying, we will spend money, but it's got to be on a blue-chip commodity, and Harper is going to be that rare blue-chip commodity. Well, I mean, th- talking about making trades for blue chip commodities, the the thing I I really wanted to when I tried to get when I tried to hook up a few weeks ago, um, what I really wanted to talk about there was a you wrote a really terrific article about um, the D backs and AJ Pollock and mm-hmm. how basically the injury to Pollock could basically sabotage their entire season and. And, and I've seen nothing on this Diamondbacks team that makes me feel differently than when I read this, that they really went for it in a really irresponsible way going into this year. Most importantly, I mean, signing Drinky, okay, they, they shot for the moon there, but trading away a you know, number one overall pick, potential franchise shortstops for Shelby Miller, I mean, we're it's only – the middle of May, and that already looks like a disastrous all-time trade that they've made, and one that could really alter their, you know, the direction of the team. And how could, I mean, is this just frustration from Arizona, or what? what is going on in their minds, or is there anything going on in their minds? Moral hazard is what's going on in their minds. Dave Stewart is the general manager. He's not going to be the general manager forever. Tony LaRusse is old. There's a certain point at which you want to go for it and want to go for the brass ring. You don't really care about Danby Swanson being good in 2019 or Aaron Blair or Ender in ZRK. You say, this is it. We could be good right now. And this is always an issue. And this goes to every sport, too. Look at the NBA and how many coaches turn over and general managers. Baseball's a little less frequent than the NBA, but, you know, it's still the same kind of idea. You have to have somebody who's vested in the future of the franchise, and that goes to ownership. It's really the owner's job to rein in Stewart or LaRusso or whatever, say, hey, listen, I get what you're doing, but, you know, I'm still going to be here when you guys are gone. Our fans are still going to be here. You can't do this. And there aren't that many teams that have supernaturally great owners who then hire people that you can rely on to be there for a long time. You know, you've got some stability with some franchises. I mean, the Cubs have built up, of course, this great infrastructure where they pretty much tanked for years and years. And everybody was fine with that, partly because Wrigley Field draws fans no matter what, and partly because they had Theo and Jed, who were you know skilled uh, operators and were guys who had a lot of experience doing this. But you know you get down the road, and, and there can be teams that, that make these leaps, and it really has to do with a difference of opinion between what's best for the franchise, which is really the fans. The fans are going to be there in five years, ten years, fifty years from now, versus the people that are in charge at this very moment. And the people in charge at this very moment didn't give a hoot about what was going to happen in the future. And that's how you end up with a trade like that, and it's going to be bad. And honestly, I mentioned the Pollock injury. All the Pollock injury did was take the Diamondbacks from what was going to be a mediocre season. They were not going to be very good no matter what, but to now they're probably going to be bad. They'll probably finish below 500 uh, because Pollock is about a five- or six-win player. So, yeah, it, it was a very bad trade. It's going to look worse and worse as you go along. Now the, now, the dangerous thing that could happen is the fact that neither the Giants nor the Dodgers 
have begun this season like a house of fire as they're both I mean, the Giants are playing a little better recently, but they 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 lost a bunch of games to Toronto recently, but the they're both hovering around 500 right now and Arizona's only two games out despite the fact that they're sub 500. Could that be dangerous for the Diamondbacks to think, "Hey, we're still in this. Let's do something else and push us over the top." No, cuz they have no prospects left. They traded them all away. They have, <laughs> you know, B and C level guys. So there's nothing risky left for them to do. They strip mine their franchise. Uh, the Gene Segura trade got rid of another really good prospect, yeah. and you know, just and they uh, forfeited some other some draft picks as a result of signing guys like the Granky signing and whatever. So, yeah, the Diamondbacks. There's almost no reason for the Diamondbacks not to double down. Everybody's getting fired. The team is going to suck no matter what. Maybe you'll have a miracle. Might as well go for it. Well, and 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 you made the point that the Padres did the same thing the year before, shipping off the Joe Rosses in the world for a an ill-fated. Uh, attempt to contend, but at least they read the writing on the wall and then tried to flip everyone for prospects right after that. Exactly. Yeah, the Diamondbacks are not in that situation. There's been no realization. And, you know, like I said, it really comes down to moral hazard. You have to have the the long-term interest of the franchise in in mind, and that's not necessarily always the case. Well, Jonah Carey, you follow him on Sports Illustrated, listen to his wonderful podcast on Nerdist, and for God's sakes, buy Up, Up, and Away if you're a baseball fan. you just It's wonderful. Um, thank you for giving me a little bit of your time today and for going over some baseball with me and for being part of the Solid Baseball Daily Podcast. And I can't wait for the movie that you've seen that I haven't seen comes out, and we can all enjoy it. Yes, it'll be great. I think it comes out theatrically August 19th in the U.S., by the way. People want to check that out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. All right, Jonah Carey, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Jonah Carey. Go visit his website, jonahcarey.com, and by all means, please buy Up, Up, and Away. It is a fabulous book, especially for people around my age with great memories of the Expos, and maybe we'll get the Expos back. Hey, who owned baseball? Uh, Johnny Cueto pitched a complete game. The Giants are on a historically good uh, road trip right now where they're just winning all these games and could be a perfect road trip if they win the final game. Uh, Nathan Eovaldi allowed just one hit over six innings. They took him out for some reason. Yankees won 4-2. Uh, Tyler Goodell got his first major league homer. He got three hits. And the Phillies, still red hot, beat the Marlins 4-2. And Rajai Davis hit two homers, including a game-tying shot in the ninth inning. Indians beat the Reds 8-7 in 12 innings. Half wobs. Jay Bruce in that same game also homered twice, but he was on the short end of the 8-7 Reds loss. Uh, Melky Cabrera singled and tripled in the White Sox defeat by the Houston Astros. They pulled a triple play, but still lost the game. Uh, Stephen Wright lost the opening game in the double dip between the Sox and the Royals. He pitched well, but not well enough. And Jimmy Nelson, man, held the Cubs scoreless for seven and a third innings, allowed just five hits, and the Brewers bullpen imploded, and the Cubs won that game in 13 innings. So if you're keeping score at home, Johnny Cueto, Nathan Uvalde, Tyler Goodell, and Roger Davis got full wobs, half wobs to Jimmy Nelson, Stephen Wright, Jay Bruce, and Melky Cabrera. Go to sullybaseball.wordpress.com. Like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. You can be old school, send me an email at info at sullybaseball.com. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Celebrate Baseball Daily Podcast from May 19th, 
2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Thank you, Jonah Carey. Happy birthday, Poppy. And everyone can please call me Sully.